0: Okay, let me uh, read a few of those opening verses again. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So picture the scene. It's a, it's a posh dinner in, in honour of Jesus. There's some distinguished guests. Everyone's uh, reclining around the table. It wouldn't, have been a, it wouldn't have been a high table like we're used to, but a, a low U-shaped table uh, and there'd be cushions on the floor. Everyone's reclining around that, resting on their elbows, their feet outstretched away from the table. Mary is busy coming in and out of the kitchen, serving food. Uh, The guests are relaxing, enjoying the meal, having conversations. Then suddenly, Mary enters the room and she's she's carrying an alabaster jar of pure nard, a pint of pure nard, that's a a type of perfume. And it's not, not cheap stuff, it's really expensive, really precious. We learn later in the passage that it's worth a whole year's wages. So so what's that? The equivalent of, say, £15,000? Maybe £20,000? So in in comes Mary with this £15,000 bottle of perfume. Yeah, Some of the women here are probably thinking, if only my other half would spend a fiver, I'd be happy. (laughs) So so Mary comes in, £15,000 worth bottle of of perfume. And you'd think you'd want to make that last wouldn't you 15 grams, and uh, all eyes turn to her what's she going to do well she opens it and she pours it all out on Jesus in, a, in an act of pure worship an act of complete and utter extravagance put yourself at the scene uh, you might have expected some kind of anointing or some kind of foot washing that would have been normal practice but, but this goes beyond anything that would have been expected. This was expensive perfume and there was loads of it. She doesn't stop pouring. She empties the whole jar. She's not going to hold anything back. There's so much she has to start mopping it up with her own hair. And, and the smell of this perfume has filled the entire house. It, it's almost as if Mary, she isn't even completely aware of what she's doing. She is so absorbed, so caught up in her worship. It's an incredible act of extravagant abandonment. And in this, in this lavish devotion, Mary gives the best thing that she has. The most expensive thing. More than likely, this, this perfume was uh, a family heirloom. Something that had been handed on, perhaps, down the generation. Something that they'd been saving up for years. It was a kind of thing that was... Uh, used in, in burial as part of the embalming process to perfume the body and prepare it for burial. But this was so precious. They hadn't even used it up when Lazarus died. That's how precious it was. And, and now Mary's used it. Maybe it was just as valuable to Martha and Lazarus, the family treasure, but now it's all gone. She's, she's used it all. She's poured it all out on Jesus In an act of passionate, devoted worship, she gives the best thing she has. I wonder, do you give the best you have to Jesus? I think so often we we just give the leftovers, don't we? We give what we won't miss. We give, uh, when it comes to our time and our energy and our resources, we give what's left when everything else is taken care of. Compare that to Mary who, who is so caught up in her love and devotion of Jesus that she gives the best thing she has the most treasured thing worth a year's wages. See, when, when we really love someone cost tends to go out of the window, doesn't it? A bloke is supposed to spend so many months' wages on an engagement ring the idea being that he, he's so in love with his fiance that that it doesn't matter how much it costs. He doesn't mind spending that much money on her. When we we really love someone, we don't really think about money when it comes to expressing that love. We're happy to give to that person. We're happy to do things for that person, regardless of the cost. (coughs) When we completely love someone, we don't even think about those things. And that's what's going on here with Mary. To express her devotion, she gives the best thing she has. But more than that, she gives herself. See, in a sense, it's easier to to write a check than than to give yourself to Jesus. It's easier to put something in the offering box and think, well, well, that's my love for Jesus taken care of. But Mary does far more. See, John draws attention to the fact that Mary poured the ointment on Jesus' feet, verse 3, and she wipes his feet with her hair. Now this is is remarkable. Washing someone's feet would be the role of a slave. It would be something that only a servant would do. It's a lesson that that Jesus teaches the disciples in the next chapter. But, But Mary preempts it here. And by taking her place at the feet of Jesus, she's demonstrating a giving of herself in service. But more than that, she doesn't just throw herself at his feet, but also, to the astonishment of everyone that's watching, she unties her hair and begins to wipe his feet with it. Now at least a servant would have used a towel, but Mary uses her own hair. And in that culture, to wear, to wear your hair down and uncovered would, would be considered disgraceful. If washing of the feet was the domain of a slave, then wearing your hair down was the domain of a prostitute. It would have been utterly shocking to the people that saw it. Her hair symbolised her glory as a woman. And, and in a sense she casts her glory at Jesus' feet. What a powerful image. And it prompts us to ask, is our worship just a matter of, of uh, giving certain amounts of our time and our money and energy doing certain things, saying certain things, singing certain things? Or or is it about throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus, giving ourselves entirely in devotion to him? So she gives the best thing she has, she gives herself. And thirdly, she doesn't care what people think. Can you imagine what the others in that room were thinking when they saw it happening? With such boldness and such intimacy, in this action that it must have shocked everyone present there's a kind of nakedness to her devotion that must have scandalised everyone except Jesus her place was in the kitchen she should have been serving with Martha she shouldn't have been there at all and then she comes in and pours all this precious perfume out and, and it's all over the place it's stinking the house out she's mopping it up with her hair what must they have thought what a ridiculous thing to do she made a complete fool of herself. But what we see is that Mary just doesn't care. She is, she's completely oblivious to what anyone else is thinking. She's just so focused on Jesus that she doesn't even consider what others will think. She's so caught up in her devotion of Christ. Her heart is so captivated by him that she doesn't care about her reputation. She's not caring what people are thinking or what they're going to say about her around town the next day. All she's thinking about is Jesus. Isn't that incredible? I wonder, have you ever made a fool of yourself for the sake of Jesus? Or maybe I should ask conversely, have you ever found yourself not saying something or not doing something that would give glory to Jesus because you were worried about what people would think? So that's the the extravagance of Mary's worship. And her example is a huge challenge to us, isn't it? It forces us to ask, do we know anything of this kind of single-minded, extravagant devotion? To be so in love with Jesus, to be so taken by Him, to be so overcome in our devotion, that, that we'd do anything for Him? That we'd give ourselves wholly to Him? No matter what it costs us, no matter how ridiculous it appears to us, it's the extravagance of Mary's worship. Secondly, the wastefulness of Mary's worship. We read that at the sight of this act of worship to Jesus, Judas raises an objection. Look at verse four. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected why wasn't this perfume sold, and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And if you read the the parallel stories in Matthew and in Mark, you see that, that Judas isn't the only one thinking this, that actually some of the other disciples were thinking exactly the same thing. What a waste of money. This could have been used to help people. And you've got to admit, they've got a good point, haven't they? Who can argue with that? It's a year's wages. Imagine all the good things that could have been done with that money. I wonder what your reaction would have been if you'd have been there. What if, what if we did something equivalent today? The elders are currently setting the budget for the coming year. What if they decided to, to cut the mission budget to cut the evangelism budget to cut the compassion fund to cut spending in, in all these other good areas and to spend £15,000 on, on something that was going to help us in a single act of worship on a Sunday morning some stunts or production something really extravagant that would, where it would be gone in minutes what would you think? would you approve the budget at the annual church meeting? or would you think that there's so much So many better things that we could spend that money on. Well that's how the people in the story were thinking and feeling. What a waste of money. But in verse 7 we see Jesus' opinion of what Mary has done. And the absolutely amazing thing is that he completely approves. In fact he rebukes those that were critical. And so if we're we're sympathising with them, we really need to feel the challenge of Jesus' Jesus' rebuke as well. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. What, What an incredible thing to say. If he wasn't the Son of God, that would be supremely arrogant, wouldn't it? But Jesus draws their attention to the, the unique time in which they found themselves. There'd be many more opportunities to help the poor. But, but only this moment, to serve Christ in this particular way. She couldn't have done this any other week in the history of the world. And we'll think a little bit more about that in a minute. But first, let's take a closer look at Judas. See, Jesus tells us, John tells us verse 6 that his real motives were not they were very different from what he was actually saying look at verse 6 he did not say this because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief as keeper of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put in it so Judas wasn't really concerned about the poor Judas was interested in what he could get out of Jesus he was thinking if this money was sold I'd be able to keep the money while we were spending it and take out of it for myself. In his eyes, Mary's act was a complete waste because he didn't get anything out of it. Mary's eyes are completely fixed on Jesus. Her question is, what can I do for Jesus? But Judas' question is, what can I get out of Jesus? What's in it for me? And I think today, uh, when it comes to our worship of Jesus, we can very often slip into thinking in the same way as Judas. What's in it for me? What can I get out of it? For example, I've got a, I've got a CD at home of Christian music and it's called The Worship Experience. And I think that's a, a, that's a common way that people think about worship today. That it's primarily something for us to experience and for us to enjoy rather than God. Often we, we evaluate our worship on, on the basis of personal gain. So if we, if we got something out of it, if we were uplifted, if we, if we felt close to God, then it was good worship. If we didn't, then it was, it was poor worship. Or maybe you, you think that way about coming to church, or you know people that think that way about coming to church. Why should I go? I don't get anything out of it. Well, Mary's example suggests that we've got it backwards. Perhaps worship isn't about getting something from Christ, even though we we often do in the process. Worship is about offering something to Christ. What if the true value of worship can't be measured by what I take away with me when I walk out the door? What if its true value is measured by, measured in terms of what I leave at the feet of Jesus. Our first concern should not be did, did, did we enjoy it? But, but did God enjoy it? Did, was Jesus glorified in that? Now I'm not, I'm not suggesting that feelings are irrelevant or that we don't get anything out of worship or that we uh, shouldn't enjoy it. In fact, part of our vision statement as a church is that we, we delight in God. We want to to enjoy God's glory. But first and foremost, for worship to be worship, it needs to be about giving Jesus the glory that he deserves. It's not about us. It's about him. So the extravagance of Mary's worship, the wastefulness of Mary's worship, and finally, the true meaning of Mary's worship. So we've seen that Mary's actions were were an extravagant act of devotion. But Jesus sees something even more. He sees something that maybe even Mary didn't fully appreciate. Something much more profound. Jesus sees it as as an act of prophetic symbolism. Look again at verse 7. Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. So this one act, this pouring out of the perfume... It has both a divine purpose and a human purpose. Mary meant one thing by it, but, but God in his providence had a deeper meaning. The human purpose was simply to show human love. That's what Mary was trying to do. But the divine purpose was to show divine love. You see, this act points forward to Jesus' death. Jesus says, leave her, because what she's doing is... is is a symbol of what's going to happen to me. He sees it as a symbolic embalming of his body. So Jesus points forward to his death on the cross where he he died in our place for our sins so that we can enjoy eternal life and relationship with God. Mary's act of costly love points forward to an even greater act of costly love. And it reminds us that, that we should be extravagant in worship because God is extravagant in his love for us. John says elsewhere, we love because he first loved us. And the more we grasp God's love for us, demonstrated in the cross, the more that we're going to love him. See, God, God longs for, for us, he longs for our hearts to be his completely. He doesn't just want your grudging obedience or your dutiful service. He wants, he wants you to love him. He wants you to delight in him. He wants you to find your deepest joy and your satisfaction in him. He is jealous for your affections. Like, like a lover with his beloved. He would, he would long for her to, to love him more than, more than anyone else. He longs for her to delight in Him, for her to give herself to Him completely, for her to find her deepest joy in Him. That's how God is with you. He's pursuing your heart and He reaches out with His love inviting you to be His, to give your heart to Him entirely. And the greatest way that He's demonstrated this love is in the cross if we want our hearts to be filled with love for him, if we want to be like Mary, completely caught up with Christ, single-minded in extravagant devotion, then we need to look at the cross. Maybe you feel like uh, you've lost the love for Jesus that you, you had maybe when you first became Christian. Maybe you feel like there's, there's no passion in your Christian life. Maybe it feels more like duty or religion than than the great love story that it really is. Or maybe this Easter as as we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection as we reflect on those things maybe you need to have your heart stirred again by God's great love for you. Maybe you need to look at the cross and And just be moved by it, like Andy was saying when he first heard about it. Moved to tears by God's love for you. Maybe you need to fall in love with Jesus all over again.